You are tuned to your community-supported radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, the first day of June. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza goes on a field trip to learn about the value of prescribed burns by private landowners. The California Report has more fire news. PG&E escapes criminal charges in the Zog fire to the tune of a $50 million settlement. And it takes a look at the state's new care court method of addressing mental illness. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. I'm Adi Bolaños, and this is the California Report. All criminal charges have been dropped against Pacific Gas and Electric for its role in the deadly Zog fire in 2020. The fire killed four people and burned more than 55,000 acres in Shasta and Tehama counties. In a deal with the Shasta County DA, the utility will pay $45 million to community agencies and nonprofits. It will also pay a $5 million civil penalty to the county. Here's Shasta County District Attorney Stephanie Bridget. We are going into fire season, and everything that I can do, everything I can force PG&E to do, or that I can give back to our community to make sure that we are ready to prevent fires and to respond to them when and if they happen is a primary goal in the resolution of this case. Shasta County had charged PG&E with crimes including involuntary manslaughter. The county argued the utility failed to remove a dangerous tree. And an investigation found the fire likely started after a damaged tree fell on power lines. By next year, every county in California will have to implement a new statewide program called Care Court. It focuses on getting unhoused people with severe mental health disorders into treatment. Eight counties have already agreed to begin early. In this first installment of our Care Court series, KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer looks at one of those counties up first, San Francisco, where even some liberals say the city's compassionate approach to homelessness and drug use on the streets is failing. Since the 1960s, San Francisco has embraced a reputation as a liberal and free-spirited place, attracting people seeking a tolerant, live-and-let-live attitude. People like Jared Benson. He came up to San Francisco from San Jose in search of fentanyl. Out here, it's everywhere because you don't have to look for the drugs out here. The drugs will find you out here. Some see the city's generous programs for housing, food, and drug treatment as a magnet to draw more people here. Now, with a street and public safety situation Mayor London Breed says has gotten out of control, she's pushing for a course correction. The conditions and what we see and and allowing people just because they suffer from an addiction to just live in peace is not okay when it's impacting the community, especially as some of the issues and violence continues to grow. When it's up and running, Care Court will allow first responders, family members, clinicians, and others to ask a judge to order a treatment plan for unhoused people with severe psychotic disorders. 
It's voluntary, but supporters hope with a little help from the black robe effect, people will feel compelled to comply. But Johnny Crawford, who works with a cleaning crew for public bathrooms on San Francisco streets, thinks that's the wrong approach. I have mental health issues and I've dealt with addiction. Me personally, I think, you know, trying to push somebody into doing something they don't want to do, it, that's not fair. It's not right. I wouldn't do it. For the past decade, mental health social worker Charlie Berman has worked on the streets of San Francisco with exactly the kind of people Care Court targets. Berman doesn't necessarily oppose the program, but he's skeptical. I think Care Court really isn't going to do much of anything more than the existing programs we have because those existing programs are already not really able to do their job as well as they should due to lack of capacity. Berman says already people are spending too much time hospitalized because there's nowhere to move them. Care Courts could add a thousand or more new psychiatric patients to the system, making that problem even worse. And that means so many people who are cycling in and out of the psych emergency room aren't getting inpatient services because half the people at SF General are awaiting placement. Mayor Breed says the city has added about 400 beds for people receiving mental health treatment. So we're giving people an opportunity, but if things continue to persist, we need to take action. Breed, who is relatively moderate by San Francisco's political standards, often clashes with more liberal members of the Board of Supervisors. She seems to relish the fight. The conversation is going to, I'm sure, turn ugly politically, but it is necessary. People are sick and tired, and we have to clean up the streets. Hillary Ronan is one of the most liberal members of the Board of Supervisors. She sees income inequality as the root cause of these problems. She says care courts are just the newest shiny object taking attention away from all the other things the city tries but never seems to finish. It's not the design of care court that I have a problem with. It's the constant diversion of attention and strategies and the inability to stick with one strategy and see it through to see if it works or it doesn't work. Meanwhile, San Francisco City Attorney David Chu worries about all the legal costs associated with care court, like a requirement to have five court hearings before a treatment plan is even approved. In addition to the work our office is going to do, there's the work of, say, public defenders and other advocates, work of the court itself, and all of these actors are going to need additional resources. But Chu notes the state hasn't allocated any additional money for that. In fact, the lack of adequate resources to implement care court is the most common concern of city officials I spoke to. But Mayor Breed, who may ultimately be held accountable for the success or failure of it, dismisses those concerns. There's never enough money for anything, period. But the fact is, that can't be an excuse for not trying. The city is hiring staff to do outreach, coordination, and program evaluation, and planning with all the city agencies responsible for implementing Care Court. Officials insist they'll be ready to go by October 1st. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer in San Francisco. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt. 
whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that's the California Report for Thursday, June 1st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, the Nevada County Sheriff's Office announced today that it has arrested a 39-year-old man who was wanted on multiple felony warrants from Nevada and Yuba counties. The Yuba Sutter SWAT team assisted Nevada County detectives on May 24th as they served a search warrant on a home in Oregon House and arrested Joseph Woodruff. He was booked into the Yuba County Jail on four felony Nevada County warrants in addition to offenses in Yuba County. The Nevada County warrants included battery causing serious injury, sale of methamphetamine, felon in possession of ammunition, and sex offense violations. As of today, Woodruff remained in custody at the Yuba County Jail. A rare sighting of a wolverine in the eastern Sierra was confirmed today by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Images and video of the wolverine, taken in May by separate people in different locations, were sent for analysis to Fish and Wildlife, which consulted with wolverine experts from the U.S. Forest Service. Two sightings were in the Inyo National Forest. A third occurred in Yosemite National Park. Daniel Gammons, an environmental scientist with State Fish and Wildlife, said wolverines can travel great distances, making it likely that the recent sightings are all of the same animal. Scientists documented the presence of a single wolverine in California from 2008 to 2018. That wolverine was first seen in the Truckee region. The recent detections were likely of a different wolverine, given that the animals typically live about a dozen years. Before that, the last confirmed wolverine sightings in California were in the 1920s. Wolverines, which are in the weasel family, resemble small bears. Here's your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. In Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear tonight with a low around 53. Friday will be sunny with a high near 79 and a low around 57. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, mostly clear with a low in the mid-30s. Sunny Friday with a high near 69 and a low around 42. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, clear with a low in the mid-50s. Friday will be sunny with a high near 89 and a low around 58. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Purposeful fire setting suffers from a PR problem, especially in the wildland-urban interface. Advocates of prescribed burns want to change that by educating people about this method of fuel reduction that is meant to create a safer, more resilient forest. Here's more from KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. On the morning of May 26th, a handful of community members arrived at a property off of North Bloomfield Road in Nevada City, where the Placer and Nevada County Resource Conservation Districts teamed up with a private landowner to conduct a prescribed burn training. Is the fire burning to achieve your management objectives? Is the fire burning as you originally predicted it? And is the fire burning according to the weather conditions that you want? That's Cordy Craig, Prescribed Fire Program Manager for the Placer Resource Conservation District. What we're doing is that 
Placer RCD has had the privilege of receiving funding a couple years ago from CAL FIRE to increase pace and scale of prescribed burning um, throughout the county and identify barriers and solutions to that. What we found was that there's a motivated and willing workforce right here in our communities. Private landowners are by far the most efficient at getting low intensity, low complexity prescribed burns on the ground. There's a number of reasons for that, right? Agencies tend to be wrapped up in a lot of red tape. They have a ton of staffing restrictions. They have a lot of environmental compliance restrictions and they lack a lot of the spontaneity that is required for prescribed burning because we're all dependent on the weather. Those weather windows open up quickly. They also close quickly. So landowners have the best spontaneity in order to get fire on the ground quickly and efficiently. That's why all of us are here um, in order to learn more and, and get more good fire on the ground, create more fire resilient forests and communities. A prescribed fire, sometimes called a controlled burn, is a carefully planned low intensity fire that consumes leaf and pine needle litter, dry grasses, and other low growing vegetation. When it's done correctly, it can dramatically reduce the risk of an uncontrolled high intensity wildfire, which can be devastating. Just before noon, Encircled by several professionals and invited guests, the landowner lit a backfire, a fire that's often lit in a line that then backs into the wind and, if on a slope, burns slowly downhill. So this is what we mean when we talk about backing fire. We're lighting it from the Retired Cal Fire Battalion Chief Chris Paulus, who now works with the Placer Resource Conservation District, was there, and he told us that most of California's native plant community is adapted to and co-evolved with fire. Fires in California will never go away, but he explained how controlled burns eliminate carrier fuels. He says if there are no carrier fuels, there could be no wildfire. Remember, you may not think this fire's in a lot of dead, but what's burning? The carrier fuel, that which spreads, carries wildfire, right? So you may, well, this isn't doing a whole lot, okay? And yeah, there's a lot of material left on the ground still, and that's perfect, actually. But this is how wildfires spread. In the one and 10 hour field, except there's a quarter inch diameter and less, up to one inch in size. Remove that from your forest floor, you cannot have a wildfire, period, end of discussion. Fuels management focuses on the larger stuff, but the large stuff is not what we treat in fuels management. We cut down the trees, the brush, and limit, limit up. But you get rid of the carrier fuels, the natural process of fire, guess what? Wildfire cannot spread. That's why CAL FIRE, Forest Service, all these entities tell you to rake up your pine needles, rake up your leaves, cut down your dead grass. It's called a carrier fuel. 90% of all fires on, planted, on planet Earth, 90%, Australia, Greece, Spain, Portugal, North Africa, South Africa, doesn't matter where you are on the planet, with one continent, Antarctica being the one exception, okay, spreads literally in stuff that's dead on the fourth floor, or dead and standing, that's about a quarter diameter smaller. Do this, you literally cannot have a forest fire here this summer. You literally cannot have a wildfire. There's nothing to transmit, nothing to spread it. That was the big takeaway from the training. If landowners learn to safely use fire to keep the carrier fuels off of their land, the risk of a megafire is greatly diminished. Why did Paradise burn the way that it burned? I also talked to Joanne Fights Kaufman, a retired Forest Service fire scientist who's on the board of the Nevada County Resource Conservation District. Wildfire is her expertise, and though she didn't mince words about the risk that our community faces, she says it's not too late to avoid disaster. Well, Paradise has a lot of commonality with Nevada County. 
it was next to the uh, Feather River Canyon. And canyons just really funnel wind and accelerate it. So to an, to an amount that's even hard to understand. And that's part of the thing that I studied in particular. Is something like paradise, given the similarities to Nevada County, is something like paradise inevitable? Uh, I'm forever positive thinking and driven in my retirement to work very hard on community safety. Plus, I want to live in the pretty forest. That's why I live in the forest. So the likelihood is very high. But that is why I'm relentless. I've done 30 firewise community hazard and risk assessments helping to educate people. That's why I joined the board of the Resource Conservation District. That's why I helped the Forest Service. I helped the Fire Safe Council. Is It's not too late. I mean, we can't just give up. We just got to keep working at it as fast as we can. California laws are changing, and prescribed fire is now a tool in the landowner's toolbox to reduce the risks of wildfire. There's been a lot of movement, um, thanks to a lot of the work by Lenya Quinn-Davidson and Jeff Stackhouse up in Humboldt, that are working on creating uh, policies like Senate Bill 332, which grants gross negligence to certified burn bosses and cultural burn practitioners. And what that means is that um, these folks who have a certain level of qualification in the event that something goes wrong, they are uh, tested under the gross negligence standard of liability. The problem with policy is that that does tend to move fairly slow. Private landowners, it may be a little bit before they're under a gross negligence standard. So they have to learn how to do things in a way where um, they're functioning under simple negligence. If you want to learn more about prescribed fire and about how you can learn to use it safely, visit PlasserRCD, one word, PlasserRCD.org, or CalPBA.org. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. I run a group on social media where people write a poem every day for a month. I can't do this every month because it takes such regular attention, but every other month works well. It keeps me in the world of poems. It helps people. I earn a little money and it's fun. It's not a class. I don't teach anything or critique the poems, and I don't let anyone else do that either. It's kind of an imaginary cabin by a lake with wraparound porches and lots of good chairs where people can write their poems in safety. A retreat in the ether. No motorboats, no chainsaws whining on a distant hill. Peace and quiet and time. Maybe I should tell participants how I see this, though each likely has their own idea of what the process feels like, and I don't want to interrupt anybody's beach vision with my Adirondack view. Not interrupting people is part of why it works. I notice the word safe, too, which many of them mention. I'm offering a safe space for them to write, which makes me wonder why would the act of writing poems feel dangerous? Oh boy, let me count the ways. From the inside, any artist can be nervous about what will come out. Things they didn't plan to reveal. Things they didn't know they knew or thought. I think writers perhaps are more vulnerable 
because almost everyone knows how to read, so you're exposed in a different way from a painter or composer, where there's a pause for interpretation from the original art form into language. And then also, because the general population uses language constantly, there can be a lot of opinions about written art, many expressed with authority. Nothing shuts creativity down like an outside opinion. The negative ones for obvious reasons, but even positive responses are dicey. If one thing is praised but not another, you might feel the other thing is lacking. You might start to love the praised thing more and steer your work in that direction, which can limit experimentation and freedom. Humans rely on social conformity for our species' survival. It's no joke. But in order to be creative, you need to ignore your species and listen to yourself. We all find different ways to do this, some more successful than others. Part of the tightrope artists are walking is how to be themselves strongly enough to bring forth their own visions and yet stay part of the group and not be ostracized. You can look through history and see how well this did and did not work. Don't forget about the people we've never heard of, too, the ones called anonymous and the ones whose work was never seen at all. This balancing is hard. It's no wonder so many were labeled crazy. I didn't invent poem a day with safety in mind, but I did make it a place where I'd feel comfortable myself. Some people love it and come back for years. Others give me a look of horror when I describe it. That's the great thing about humans, though, right? It takes all kinds. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, June 1st. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Weiss Landscaping with over 75 years of generational experience in landscape architecture design and installation. Weiss Landscaping crews are experienced and provide accountability on craftsmanship, installations, and irrigation projects. Go weisslandscaping.com. And Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday at 6 for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.